For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome back to Fourth Down Focus, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I am Dan Lundy, host of the podcast and founder of Fourth Down University, a company focused on the training and development of specialists and coaches. Today's show is brought to you by Bets Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device and sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Episode 36 of the podcast welcomes Coach Chris Harvey current head coach for Clearwater Central Catholic High School in Clearwater, Florida. Harvey grew up in Ackerville, West Virginia. He was a two-sport athlete at Mann High School, playing both football and baseball. He would choose to play football for the Miami Hurricanes over West Virginia, Wake Forest, and Virginia Tech. In Harvey's redshirt freshman season at Miami, he was named the winner of the Albert Bentley Award for the team's most valuable walk-on. He perfectly executed 18 field goal snaps, 50 long snaps, and 58 conversion kicks, 126 total snaps during his first season starting for the Hurricanes. The following season, Harvey would be placed on full scholarship where he would go on to win the 2001 National Championship. Chris, it's a pleasure having you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, Dan. Great to hear from you. I appreciate the opportunity of coming on with you today. Uh, Hearing you list those things, my 40th birthday is next week. Uh, the crazy part about turning 40 is that everything you listed happened 20 years ago, which is, is sort of crazy to, to, to think about how much time has passed, although it seems like it happened just yesterday. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, now we're fathers, and uh, I'll share with the show that you were my teammate. I was on that Miami Hurricane team with you. I was two years younger, but you know, it was nice to have you as an older specialist amongst that group. I remember initially when I met you, you were very hesitant to be friends with us, <laughs> but uh, there was a bond form because, yeah, you are a football player who by chance happened to become a very good long snapper, but you were a center in high school. You were a pitcher in baseball. You were an athlete. We talk on the show all the time about the importance of these specialists having a background in other sports, and I think that you did that, and I think it helped you become a great long snapper. So... um Let's see. Let's just get this going. Uh, I've coached high school football uh, for 12 years. I retired uh, about two years ago from from a high school coach. And I was always impressed, especially being in Florida, uh, that the knowledge these coaches had, they most of them played at a very high level um, and they provided, you know, through their experiences, uh, good coaching, you know, effective coaching and how to win ballgames. Football coaches in Florida and anywhere for that matter, at the high school level especially, aren't often prepared to coach specialists, right? Mm -hmm. Because very few were specialists. So 
what what are your thoughts on the current practices of high school coaches and high school staffs and how they train and develop these specialists? I think just to go off from what you said, I personally think that some of the best coaches in the country, football, high school football coaches, uh, come from the state of Florida. I mean, there's there's a lot of other places that are afforded, you know, better facilities, you know, better pay. But I think the coaches that are here in the state of Florida, they they do a great job with what 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 they're you know, what they're, what they're given. Um, I know here at CCC, we have 12, to 14 assistant coaches. Um, when I hire a coach that is my linebacker coach, I expect him and he is taxed with the responsibility of learning as much, not necessarily, not just what we do, but how he can teach and coach and mentor our linebackers per se in that instance to do the things that we want to do. Um, and I've spoken to you about this before. I think one of the shortcomings that we have as far as not just in the state of Florida, but in high school football is that, you know, we sort of don't spend the time um, preparing ourselves to be able to present that same inf- information and mentorship to the specialists on our team. So I, I go back to a thing that Coach Saul used to say, you know, when I was, you know, whether it would be some, when I wasn't doing something right on the field or, I, you know, I was you know, maybe not going to class the way I was supposed to, and I would have excuses or I would try to speak out of line and he would say, hey, don't make stuff up. And I think one of the problems we have with high school coaches, and and I'm bad at it sometimes too, my assistants are bad at it, especially with dealing with specialists is because it's our job and we feel, you know, we feel the urge to always coach every play. But if, if I'm a linebacker coach, I don't always try to coach the DBs. Or if I'm a receiver coach, I don't always try to coach the offensive line. But when it comes to specialists, everybody has an opinion. And I think the thing that as coaches, what we can do is, is don't make stuff up. If, if it's not something that you can bring beneficial to the progress or the advancement or the improvement of a special, whether it be a kicker, punter, snapper, and sometimes it's better not to just say anything. And I've, I've spoken to you about this before. I think one of the things that you guys do at 40U, because I've seen you at the Nike clinics and some of these other places are, you know, there's a wave and there's, there's hundreds of kicking specialists and punting specialists and snapping specialists that are working with the athletes themselves. But I think the education of coaches to where, that same knowledge base that it takes that we have for our coaches that are coaching linebackers or DBs or O-line and D-line, that same knowledge base can be built for specialists so that when you are talking and you are, you know, in that instance, when that, when that kicker or specialist needs, you know, that, that, that help, what you're saying matters and you're not just making stuff up. So I think the, the way that you guys are, are, are providing, you know, education, not just for the players themselves, but for the coaches themselves, I think if it's taken advantage of, it can really, you know, benefit programs. I know our program has because we have a new role in our program. Unless you've actually kicked the ball, never talk to a kicker. So that means that nobody talks to kickers. Now, I sort of break that rule sometimes, but um, sometimes I just feel like people overstep and they're, and they're coaching things that they have no basis to coach. And, and in the long run, that can be more negative than positive. Yeah, I really appreciate those words. You know, uh, I'll just add on to that or just sum it up in saying that I think that I have grown as a specialist coach in the last five or 10 years because I realized very quickly that the disconnect is, in fact, 
oftentimes with the coaches at the high school level and trying to help. But when you don't have a pre-existing some knowledge there or background in it, it's almost like a guess. And oftentimes that get guess is a hindrance, right? So yeah. I'm learning more and more through you guys that specialize in other places in football on both sides of the ball, mm-hmm. that there are so many parallels we can draw from stance and start and a receiver to a base and a quarterback's throw. If it's too wide and he gets naturally shorter, he's not his best self. And, and, and these are things that you guys know and have a great background in. It's just a matter of drawing the right parallels to a foreign thing, which is kicking and punting. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So, we spoke last week, Chris, uh, and I always ask my guests in pre-recording to, to send me some things or some points of talking points that they want to discuss. And one of the first things you said to me was, quote unquote, helping specialists understand the importance of their role. Yeah. Um, can you describe, please, what your expectations are for your specialist at Clearwater Central Catholic and more importantly, the role that they are playing on your team? Well, I think. You know, it's sort of, like I said, it's been 20 years since I've played, almost 20. Um, and, and you sort of mentioned it in, in the intro about the fact that when I when I came to Miami, I had all these aspirations. I was an offensive lineman. Um, and, and fortunately for the success we had as a team, but unfortunately for my role as per se is not continuing as an offensive lineman, I had to find my niche. And I think because it was a niche, it wasn't my intention as I went through my years at Miami, it wasn't until I got into coaching and maybe even into coaching three or four years that I really looked back and I thought, man, you know, I never really truly appreciated and accepted the role that I had. Now, hindsight is 2020 all the time, but at the same time, I wish I would have done that because one, I think I would have enjoyed myself a little better because I was around a good group of guys. Um, I experienced some things. But at the same time, like I said, as I got into coaching, I understood the importance of those roles on every team. And so my suggestion to people is when you bring value to your team, you're just as important, if not more important than, than you know, a big portion of, of the team. You know, so I, I think about, you know, when we I'm, I tell people all the time, I'm a better strength coach than I'm a football coach. So we had a kid a couple years ago who's now a walk-on punter at University of Miami. His name is Sebastian Pashula. And Sebastian, his junior year, he struggled. He was our punter and our kicker. Um, he struggled, and, and it was something that at the end of the season, he comes in, he talks, Coach, I, I really know I can do better. He threw himself into the off-season program. He threw himself into, you know, his craft. He, you know, he, he, he picked up extra, you know, coaching and lessons from people. And then his senior year comes around, and not only is he a better kicker and a better punter, but because of the, the work that he had thrown in in the offseason and its perception and, and, and his teammates' perception of it, he became one of our leaders. So, so the, the, the approach that he brought and, and, and the, 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 his acceptance of his role and the value that it played um, was a way that he set himself up to be a leader. Now you always talk about, you know, who do you want your leaders on your team to be? Well, you, you want the perfect leader or the, the, the ideal leader is one of your better players. You know I mean? One of your superstar players. If as, as a head coach, the best years I've had is when my better players are my better preparers and my better leaders. Well, here, my best leader is my specialist, which in the end was awesome because 
he would ignite other people that were in different roles. And you'd take a step back and you'd laugh like this kid is, he's really embracing the fact of the work that it took to get him where he was. And he's allowing that to spread to other people. So I think a sense of value uh, creates a purpose and that purpose creates drive. And then that drive is what gets us where we want to get. Amen. I th- and I think it starts with you, the head coach, to yeah. to, str- to stress what's facts. Facts are that one in six and a half plays is a, is a special team's play. Yep. And then if we lose every one of those six and a half plays because we didn't prepare as much as the opponent that's equal to us, yep. we have just lost 20% of the game. Not quite, maybe 17 and a half, but too much. Too yep. much to, to where it could be detrimental to the outcome. So I think it's very important that the that coaches begin to, to change or shift their mindset a little bit, mm-hmm. shift the paradigm to, to embracing that role of the fact that you, if it doesn't start with you, your teammate, or sorry, your coaches and the, and the team is not going to embrace their role nearly as much as they should either. Um, we were really fortunate to have like guys like coach Saul, you mentioned and Chuck Pagano and Butch mm-hmm. Davis, um, I think we were the best team in the history of college football. And I also think that we put a lot of emphasis in that third of the game. Yeah. Uh, we played our best players, the Andre Johnson's and Santana Moss and the Reggie Wayne and the Daryl Jones. I could go on. These people all were impactful special teams players. Yeah. Um, Devin Hester, Sean Taylor, all of them, none of them, I should say for that matter, none of them took that as a break. Yeah. They, they thought of it as like, hey, this is a, something that's going to bring about a change in something else, and it's going to have a positive or a negative effect on the offense and defensive side of the ball. So I couldn't thank you enough for that answer, but uh, I'm going to shift the focus a little bit. We talk often about successful people on this mm-hmm. show, and what brings about success is taking pride in the work that you or I do. Uh, I don't think this is any different in football. So can you share – how this relates to specialists and the specialist community in general, taking pride. To, to answer that question, I, I was thinking about this. The, the, the opportunities that are available to specialists now are a little bit different than when, when you came. I can still remember um, when I was you know, working with, with you guys and we get into a car and we would drive. Uh, we're, we're talking about power five. I don't know if you even called it then back then power five, you know, High-level college football guys getting on a car and driving an hour and a half to work with the kicking coach. Who, at that point in time, there may have been, you know, two or three different kicking coaches in the country that everybody used. Now, you know, there's a lot of different people that people can see. Um, and and when I when I talk about, you know, when, when you're talking about, you know, what you put into to these, I think of the two kickers that I have now and the preparation that they put into it. We have a punter named Bryce Bush who's He's a really good player. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's special. He's got a strong leg as a punter. He can kick too. And then we got a, a kid named Claudio Cosenza. And the one thing that sticks out to me is their work ethic. They're, they're, they eat, sleep, and breathe kicking. And, you know, you guys were that same way in college. And you, you talk about getting annoyed sometimes. You know, how could people be so passionate? <laughs> I mean, from from when I used to think of when you guys would play golf on the practice fields where you pick a target and kick at it. And I'm thinking, what are they doing? But you were perfecting your craft in the way that you knew to work at that time. So when I see our two kids who are, you know, they're still battling for the starting kicking position. One guy is a punter and a kicker. 
and they're traveling around the country and they're being exposed to all of this stuff. I think it's just a testament that to, to what they want to become. And I've seen them, you know, constantly prepare to use those tools that have been afforded to them to be the absolute best that they can be. And I think whether it's, you know, as a team, as a head coach now, I, I, I put a lot of emphasis on preparation in our team and, and becoming a stronger team from the inside out. You know, we're, we've got we've got really good players, but until those players come together, you know, to, to form a team, then then there's a process to do that. We can't be as strong as what we are. And I think that's that's something that's important with our kickers to understand that there's a process to get to where they want to go. Um, and and our guys are doing a great job of doing that because of the the assets they have afforded to them and 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 all those things. I love what you said about our time at Miami, and I'm reflecting now on those times. And I will say that I'm at a lot of college campuses now, especially in the spring. I'll go visit, uh, I don't know, University A, for example. And I'm usually there to consult a quality control guy or the guy that oversees the specialist as to how they can manage their time best during individual right yeah and we talk about that at length and and i know you you like the thought of how i want to structure a practice uh, for specialists uh mm-hmm. and i think we did a without knowing it i don't think we must have had we must have had some guidance but i think that we did a phenomenal job looking at how people are still doing it poorly is at miami you 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 found time where i either had to catch your long snap or freddie was gonna, but if freddie was busy holding for todd you know we were always finding ways to work without overworking. And then mm-hmm. we made certain to get off the field and get inside and do something proactive in the mm-hmm. weight room, whether it was Chris Harvey on a bike or I'm doing trunk yeah. twist or Freddie Capshaw's getting them guns swole for Saturday. You know, so I do think that there's value in, I love what you said about work ethic, but I don't think that high school specialists realize that there is a danger in overworking. You know, we've got to work smart. Yeah, so. If anyone's listening to the show and they're, they're questioning, well, how can I best utilize this time during individual? Just hit me up on the side because I don't want you to hurt yourself. You're a pitcher. So let me draw a parallel to pitching. It would be like Chris. It'd be like me saying, well, you've got to stay busy. You can't take BP. So go throw 50 fastballs while we're taking BP. And if you did that six times a week, collectively, that's 300 fastballs. Right. Um, And you wouldn't do that. And I think that we're, we're ahead uh, in baseball and other sports, but I think we're, we're significantly behind yeah. in how to, how to manage and ma- maintain a specialist mm-hmm. throughout a 12 to 15 week season. I know that when, 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 when I first, when I first, I think it was one of my college stops before I came here, I reached out to you and I asked for a plan and you'd shared your, you know, your daily progressions for punters and for, for kickers. And I was actually at Florida state at the time, you know, and it just goes to show you, I'm a, I'm an assistant strength coach at, one of the top football programs in the country. And as the strength coach, I'm taxed with creating a plan for our kickers who would eventually win the Groza Award. So the reason I say that is because that's something that should have been taking a little bit more serious at a different level, but at the same time. So here I am going to a, a, a kid and I'm explaining to him all these drills. And, and, and one of the kids I had, Dustin Hopkins, he already had a plan. And so he would have a two hour practice mapped out in his head. You know, we combined the stuff that you had sent and the things that he did, but foot met leather, maybe eight to nine minutes of that two hours. And it was the other time it was working flexibility. It was working, you know, whether it would be 30 minutes of a certain weight program that we were doing inside. So he had a program that kept him from doing what you said 
is sort of detrimental to, to, you know, the progress that a kicker can make because he's, you know, he's only got so many bullets that he can shoot, you know? Agreed. And I don't know if anyone remembers Dustin, but he had a very interesting, unique way about approaching a kickoff. There was a little like glitch looking step that was almost like a mini hurdle step at the beginning, the first third of his approach. And I think I learned this from you when you were at Florida state, I asked, What's the purpose? Because there's clearly uh, this is intentional because it's repeatable. He does it every time. And I'm pretty sure it was you that told me that he was a very good high jumper. Yep. Yeah. And it goes back to something that you said when you worked with our kids here a couple of years ago, because um, you were talking to, I think, with some other coaches or so, I know it was at the Nike clinic when you said, if you don't have a punter, then go find the most athletic person you have on your team and then teach him a few of these things and you'll have if not a great, a very, you know, adequate punter. So a lot of the best, best, you know, specialists that I've worked with, whether it's, whether it's Hopkins or Graham, when you looked at their overall athleticism, they would rank in the top 10 or 15% of their entire team. So that was just them conveying that athleticism. And I think that's why they've been able to have longevity where they are. So let's get into that. You've been around, uh, some incredible specialists. Uh, and I will say that probably two of, of the household names that people will know, because this is a special teams podcast, is Graham Gano and Dustin Hopkins. Both were former NFL kickers. Both were with you while you were at Florida State. Um, yeah. Can you share how their mindset and their approach to training may have been different than everyone else that you met because these two were the most successful. Is there anything you can differentiate between how they approached on and off field activities, but made it relatable to the, what they, what it is they do? I mean, with, without a doubt, they were the most relentless two people that I've ever worked with. I mean, they were competitive. They were goal oriented. They were the hardest working people. And I'm not saying the hardest working specialist per se, Dan, I'm talking about when I'm a strength coach at Florida State University, my first year there, and we have eventual first-round draft picks. We've got 20 or 30 NFL guys. And I tell you that Graham Gano was the hardest-working person on the team. Then that, that definitely translated over into how he performed on the field. I mean, his last game, we played Wisconsin in one of the ball games in Orlando, and he was voted the MVP of the game. Um, and, and it doesn't surprise anybody. I mean, just, just his approach to things and his competitive nature and, and, and his, his willingness to just attack work. Um, so I think, I think that, you know, if there's a common theme between him and Dustin, because Dustin was the same thing. Dustin was a state champion. Like, like you said, he was a state champion, long jumper, something in track. I can't remember, but their overall well, one, their natural athleticism, but they're, their, their willingness to push their limits physically while, you know, gaining an understanding of their bodies so that they're not overtraining were huge. And then not their, not just their development over time, but their quick rise. I mean, both of them started as freshmen at Florida state and both of them are still kicking. I mean, Graham, I think if I'm not mistaken, Graham graduated in 2009 and he's still, I think he's with the New York Giants right now. And then Hopkins left a year after I left Florida State in 2012. So they're guys that have had, you know, long stays in the NFL and, you know, outside of some freak injuries that really have nothing to do with, you know, you know, mechanics or anything, they've been able to stay healthy too. So 
but their their work ethic, I think, is what separates them from everybody else. Oh, thank you for that. Um, I have a final question for you because you mentioned goals. Uh, so I I always say that goals take planning, and the best goals require meticulous planning, almost to where you're obsessed with adjusting the plan accordingly to make mm-hmm. sure that the goals met on time. Uh, I think that special teams, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, it is often the catalyst between two equal opponents. Uh, you're going to win or lose based on a few impactful plays that occur on that, or as a result of that special teams play, it puts your offense in a great spot or your defense in a bad spot. I think, like I mentioned also that high school coaches, and I, I, I want to stress this. I realize because I was in a high school setting for 12 years that the two coaches I work for, the head coaches I work for, we, they were overloaded. They were in the classroom. You know, they had responsibilities as a, as a teacher first. And then it was a second parent to 50 or 60 young men. And then it was delegation of power and roles to coaches. And then it was coaching football, right? So there's a lot going on. Uh, and I'm not even mentioning the recruiting and the fundraising and all the other things that are really not fun to talk about. But I think in the midst of all this chaos and 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 too many responsibilities, there are gonna think there are gonna be things that are sacrificed. And I think that one of the first things that sacrificed is preparation in practice to win this third of the game that I that I'm so passionate about. I'd like you to share a couple of things that you do in your practice plan or implement during the week uh, to find a way to find time to prepare for Friday nights on fourth down. Well, I think to be honest with you, I have well, I have to be honest. You know, we are going into 2021 with a totally different approach on special teams. And a lot of that has it falls on my shoulders as the head coach because I am a big special teams guy. I've worked as a special teams coordinator in college. I'm a head coach now. I pay a lot of lip service now as a head coach to the importance of special teams. And you know, Self-evaluation and looking back on things is always important. And after last season with all the ups and downs of COVID and everything, when we look back on our season, the one thing that we felt like we were lacking in was we were saying, and we'd always said we had put emphasis on special teams, but our actions didn't always say that. So the first thing I have decided, I got advice from Mike Rump when he was the head coach at um, American Heritage uh, Plantation. When he took over and then I took over the head job here, he says, Chris, I know you've been a defensive coordinator. You need to take a step back. Hire somebody to handle your defense. Hire somebody to handle your offense and make sure that you spend time on special teams. Well, for the first four years that I was here, I loved what he said, but I couldn't relinquish those defensive duties. And then to be honest with you, in the first round of the playoffs last year, we lost the game because we were not prepared special teams-wise. Because it, then it's not something – preparation isn't something that's just 10 minutes a day in the middle of your practice when half your team is drinking water just trying to get to the other part of your practice. And a lot of times – and I'll be honest with you, that's not just a high school problem. That's a college problem as well. I mean, the, the, the best teams in college football are those ones that truly put emphasis on all three levels with an understanding that that third level that we say is most important, the – the gains and the responsibilities and, and the ownership of that has to be done in a shorter period of time. So I think coaching special teams is almost like an art because I had, I had somebody explain to me, when you coach special teams, your job is to steal time. You know, how can I get as much, the most out of a shorter period of time? 
So I have stepped away from the defensive side of the ball and hired a coordinator. And my sole objective when I already started, because I'm, I'm very, I'm not the smartest person, Dan, so I have to plan way in advance. So when I'm planning my schedules out for the season, I'm making sure that not only do we have more time, we're still at about 30 to 40 minutes of practice, whether it's 15 minutes pre-practice and 20 to 25 during practice that are devoted to special teams. That's the way they've always been. But now we're treating special teams in the same way that we, we treat offense and defense. As a, as a team, we don't go into an offensive practice, walk out, outside, put 22 people on the field, and just scrimmage. There are certain you know, facets of the offense and defense that we have to break down into different you know, skill sets and different you – know, we, we, we schedule our offense and defensive practices in a way to where we're working tackling, we're working ball skills, pedal drills. But then when we go to special teams, we just line up and punt the ball or we line up and kick the ball off and cover it. And we scream and yell about coverage lanes and we scream and yell about this, that, and the other, but we never actually allow for time for those skills to be broken down. So what we've done moving into a little bit in the spring as we focused on our punt team because we've changed our punt team is we're treating our special teams the same way. Now we may not have, an hour of special teams a day, but in that 30 minutes of, of work, we're going to break it down into its smallest components, just like we would offensively and defensively so that we can fine tune those skills that we're going to use to be able to complete that single play that matters so much. So that's us placing emphasis on things and not just paying lip service to it. You know, I think that goes back to our first question and my compliment to your company about shedding light on this topic and every coach you talk to is going to tell you that special teams is the third part of football, but do they do things on a daily basis that really show that it matters to them? All right. Because if they don't, I'm going to tell them as somebody that, you know, I've been a head coach going on my sixth year, it will bite you. You know, if you don't put the emphasis and the time and the effort into perfecting that third of the game, you know, there's a number that, that, that I, I don't have it off. The amount of total yardage that is encompassed in a football game, we talk about it being a third of the game, but total yardage, it's about 60 to 70% of the total yardage that the ball travels during a game. So if you don't spend appropriate time on that, you're going to end up being on the bad side of that before it's all said and done. There's so much to recap here, but I want to start with what you just said. I, I was with Brian White. He's now up at Boston College, but he was a special teams coordinator at Florida. And when he was there, very smart. I, I lear- very. I, and I learned so much from Brian. But I think the thing that really stuck with me was he's like, Do you want to see a hidden yardage analysis against Alabama in the SEC championships? I was like, Absolutely. What happened? And he's like, So he, he went over uh, their punt, our punt, yada, yada. There was a 240-yard differential between opponent A and B, yeah. and F- Florida was on the positive side of that. And Brian credited winning that punt battle was the difference for yeah. that game. And that's a crap ton of yards, especially no against Bama deep, right? So, I mean, I think that if you are even in the – if you're in the case of we are an inferior opponent compared to a national champion, IMG, or whatever – your chance is going to be best on that third of the game. I think at any level. Um, And I also want to go further with what you said about a head coach's role. And 
I heard something that Joe Judge said. Uh, Joe Judge was, you know, Bill Belichick's special teams coordinator for a long time at the Patriots, and now he is the head coach of the Giants. And there is an emergence of STCs becoming head coaches in the mm-hmm. NFL. And a lot of people's opinion of it is this. The special teams coordinator coaches the entire team. Yep. Yep. Offense, offensive line for field goal. I mean, you name it. Uh, the skilled players that play perimeter positions are our gunners and our flyers and cover gunners or returners. We, we obviously deal with specialists. Um, it's interesting to think of it like that. So I think at the high school level, if, if possible, yep. the head coach, he can't be the coordinator. He needs to be the assistant coordinator because the head coach coaches everyone already. Yep. Right. So from a personnel decision too, I think no one better than you to make a personnel decision that, Hey, we need a guy that does this in this scheme. I think Chris Harvey knows the best fit for that because you see everyone. And then it goes back to, you know, not to keep talking about it, but if, if you're a, if your program hangs its hat on your off season strength and conditioning program, right but your head coach and your head and your coaches never step foot in the weight room. They're not there in support of they're not there in the know of what's going on. Then how can you expect your players to buy into that side of things? Now transfer that onto the field. If, if you're, if you are preaching that special teams is a big part of your program. And I used to think, well, I'm going to divvy up my special teams our coordinator is going to handle it, and then each coach is going to have one facet of the special teams. And then what that ended up being was two coaches coaching and everybody else standing. Well, if if 80% of your coaches are standing and watching, what are your players doing? So I think that, you know, there's writing on my board that says, you know, we're either coaching it or letting it happen. Coach Bowden used to say that all the time at Florida State. We're either coaching it or letting it happen. And I think that because there's a smaller amount of time spent on special teams, when those things go bad on special teams, it's not usually human error. It's not as if it's usually something that wasn't practiced, that wasn't ripped, that that, that kid didn't see. You know, when, when you have a kid that misfields a, a pooch kick late in the fourth quarter of a playoff game and you're and you're you're about to lose your mind because you just lost the game because you have a defensive lineman in a position to field a sky kick. So then you're like, well, wait a minute. At what point in time during preparation did I not know that I put a kid in a position to do something that he had never, ever practiced to do? So that's not that kid's fault. That's my fault as a head coach for not putting the emphasis on where it needs to be. So you you get what you emphasize. And if a head coach puts emphasis on special teams and spends time with it, then those players are going to spend time with it. And then that's when you become better. Amen. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for joining uh, it, the show today. And I'd like if you real could real quick, if someone has a question for you related to this, could you share your Twitter handle? Yeah, my, my Twitter is uh, Coach C. Harvey, C-H-A-R-V-E-Y. Um, anything I can do, I'm here. Thank you so much. It means a lot to everyone at Fourth Down Focus that you were able to share a little bit about your story. Please give us a five-star rating, a review, subscribe to the show, and share it with a friend. If you have questions related to the podcast or suggestions for future topics or guests, or if you just simply have feedback for us, you can reach me, Dan Lundy, in several ways. My website is fourthdownu.com. And on social media, my Instagram and Twitter is at fourthdownu, 4-T-H-D-O-W-N-U. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can search me by searching Dan Lundy, L-U-N-D-Y. Thanks again for joining us. Presented by Vet Online. 
We'll see you next week with an exciting new guest. And I hope 2021 is treating each of you well. Remember, in all things, give thanks. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.